Well, good morning. Okay, so uh, we are in the book of Hosea, but we're also not in the book of Hosea again. So if you're new, I'll just explain this very quickly. But if you're new and you're confused by the slide on the screen that says Hosea and you're wondering why aren't we going to Hosea in the actual talk, um, I'll tell you why. We started a series on Hosea about two months ago, and we spent some time in Hosea for a while. And then um, the, the point of Hosea, Hosea was a prophet from Israel. And his purpose was to point out the idolatry of Israel. And so what I thought we would do was do a series within a series and do that on do that series on idolatry. So today is the last part of the section on idolatry. We'll actually be in Hosea again uh, next Sunday. So, um, so we're doing idolatry again today. But we've covered, if you remember, we've covered uh, four kinds of idolatry in our culture. What are they? We started with what? Love, or what Kim just said there. Uh, the second one was money. The third one was, you just threw a wrench in there, Kim. Thanks a lot. Uh, the third one was success, right? Which sounds, never mind. All right. Uh, and then the fourth one was the idol of what? Comfort. Yes. So today we are asking the question, how do you put an end to idolatry? What do we do? Like once you've identified these idols in your life, what do you do with that? How do you put an end to idolatry? So turn with me to Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Flip there or turn there with your app. I've noticed that there's, there's fewer and fewer pages turning these days. Everyone just flips to it in their app. And so the ones that actually have their Bible, they feel like, you know, the older brother and the prodigal son. They feel all prideful and stuff. I brought my Bible to church. Romans 1, verse 21. And we looked at this passage earlier in the series on idolatry, but I wanted to cover it over again. So here it is. Romans 1, verse 21. It says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile, 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 in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So the people that Paul's talking about, they, they knew about God, but they did not honor him as God. And look at the next phrase. It says, or give thanks to him. Now, I know with Thanksgiving coming up, it, it sounds cliche to say this, and, and people like me, pastors and teachers, we always say cheesy things like, you know, what are you thankful for, you know, and stuff like that. And you guys are like, oh, really? That's what we're going to talk about? But it's true. If you think about thankfulness and whether or not you are, you are thankful to God for his salvation to you, when you think about thankfulness, thankfulness is a direct indicator of where your heart's at, right? So if you're someone who's unthankful, think of how arrogant you have to be to be unthankful to God for what he's done for you. Just think of how arrogant you have to be, how prideful and arrogant and full of yourself you have to be to not be thankful for what he has done for you. And this is what Paul's describing here. When, when, someone, when someone just kind of knows about God, but they don't honor him as God, part of that is they don't see a need to give thanks to him. They don't see a need to, to honor him in that way. So that's the first thing. But these people knew about God, but did not honor him as God. What does honor mean? Honor means to praise, to glorify 
I would say it this way, that if, if you honor someone, if you honor someone, you don't just see them in a certain position or role, but you actually see them as having authority over you. So, for example, your parents, the Bible says honor your parents. It doesn't just mean acknowledge intellectually, yeah, that's my parents, but it means obey them, fear them, fear their authority. You see them as having authority over you. In the same way, it's true in the way that we honor God. If someone says, yes, I believe in God, but their life does not reflect an honoring and an obedience to him, I would say they don't, they don't really know God. They don't know him in the way that it's being talked about it here. They know about him, but they don't actually know him. You know, I think we throw this, this phrase around quite a bit in the church, especially here in Texas, but you guys have heard me say things like, the Bible Belt culture that we live in. You've heard me say that before, right? Um, when I say that, here's what I mean by it. If, you, if I were to show you a map of the U.S., and if you were to look at the entire U.S., on the East Coast, I would say the Bible Belt starts about maybe Virginia, where I'm from. South of D.C., somewhere, it starts about that area right there, and it goes down through the Carolinas, Georgia, over to Alabama, Tennessee, um, Mississippi, uh, Louisiana, Arkansas, and then Texas. That's what I would say contains the Bible Belt as we call it today. So when I say that phrase, I'm referring to Texas being like on the end of the Bible Belt. What I mean by that is, anybody, um, raise your hand if you're from Texas. Raise your hand. You're born and raised in Texas. So most of you. Almost all of you. So listen to me. Listen, listen to this. If you're not from somewhere else, you're going to miss this. So be, listen up. Um, if you're from some other part of the world or other part of the states, you'll acknowledge that in the Bible Belt, there's a certain kind of culture to Christianity that's not really true anywhere else. So, for example, I went to uh, London, England for a couple of mission trips a few years ago when I was in high school. And it's very likely for me to talk to a kid who's a your agent in that country, and for maybe like 2 to 3% of those kids that would say they go to church and they're professing believers. It's a very small percentage. The rest of them, for the most part, will say, I don't believe in God. I'm an atheist. Or, yeah, I don't really, I used to believe that, but not anymore. And you're, you're much more likely in a place like that to have someone say, I think that is a bunch of rubbish, as they would call it over there, and I don't believe any of it. But here in, in, in Texas, in the Bible Belt, it's much more likely to have someone say, yeah, I believe in God, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I go to church. I even serve. I even tithe. I, I serve with my gifts. But then have that same person totally not honor and obey God in other parts of their life. That's very common here where we live. And if you're not from if you're from Texas, you're gonna you're gonna miss this and think this is normal. This is not normal what happens here in Texas and the rest of the culture that we live in. And so what I want you to get is you're going you're gonna to hear people say things here like, yeah, I believe in God. I believe all that. I believe in the gospel story. They're going to go to church and stuff like that. But what you're going to see is this dichotomy between how they live and what they say they believe. Now, I'm not going to lie. That still happens elsewhere, too. But I will tell you that I think it's less common because in most places, they'll just tell you, look, I, I don't believe that. This Bible that you have, I don't believe a word of this. 
and I'm not going to pretend to believe it. They'll just go ahead and make the declaration. I don't believe it. I'm not going to pretend to follow it. I'm not going to pretend to believe it. But I think what we have in our culture is a lot more pretending, a lot more of people saying, because they're trying to appease the culture around them, the pressures they feel from family and friends to believe something is true about God and Jesus and the Bible, but they don't fully buy in with their honoring and obedience. So it's very common for me as a pastor at a church like this to be talking to someone about their faith, them to say, yes, I believe in Jesus. I believe he's the son of God. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe in the resurrection. I go to church every Sunday. And then I say, sir, are you sleeping with your girlfriend? Yeah, I am. Do you see a problem with that? No, I don't. And I'm going, but what about what it says in here? Well, don't judge me, man. Don't judge me. I'm not. I mean, this is. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Does that make sense to you? And so this is what's happening in, in the culture that Paul is finding himself in as well. So this is proof that it, it doesn't just happen here, right? It's not just here in Texas that we see this. It's as elsewhere. It's throughout history this has been the case. And so watch what happens when, when we do this. In this verse, this verse says, their foolish hearts were darkened. Hearts become blind when we live this kind of, this two, way of, two ways of living, this dichotomy of a life. Go to my next quote. I want you to see this. When truth is rejected, over time, the ability to see truth is impaired. So whenever you and I turn our back on God and dishonor him with our disobedience, and, and we decide to follow our own flesh, we reject truth. The, the more you and I reject truth, the more your ability to see truth is impaired. So blindness leads to more blindness. Blindness leads to more blindness. Look at verses, uh, verse 22. It says, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So this is ancient idolatry. Verse 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Now I want you to get this. They, they made this exchange. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Here's when idolatry happens in our life. It's when you and I begin to believe lies about God. When you and I start to believe lies about him, that's when you start to say things like, okay, God, God can't be good because this happened in my life. God can't be who the Bible says he is because he wouldn't have allowed this to happen to me. So I'm going to turn towards something else. Now, for most of us, we don't make that decision consciously. We don't have this moment where we say, you know what, I'm going to reject this and I'm going to embrace this. Most of us just do it subtly down a slippery slope. It happens gradually, but it still happens. And when you get over here, you start to realize, yeah, I don't believe what this says about God. I don't believe it because you've bought into some kind of a lie about him. So they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than 
the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So the essence of idolatry is always going to be you're taking the creator who created the creation and you're putting the creation in place of the creator. That is the essence of idolatry. And yes, it is like algebra. So thank you for pointing that out. Yes. So there's part of us that we are, we are wired for worship. There is not a person on the face of the earth who has not been wired for worship. If you go to other cultures, every culture, listen, listen, every culture that's been discovered by other parts of mankind has, they've discovered that they've worshiped something because every single person ever created has been wired to worship. We never just stop worshiping. And what you and I tend to turn to, we turn from God and turn towards other people and other things. And if you don't, if you don't worship the creation, you are going to worship the creation. There's no other alternative. Either you worship the creator or you worship the creation. Every single person on the face of the earth worships. This next picture, can you guys tell me who this guy is? Do you guys still watch this show or is that more like college and up? Do you guys still watch this show on Netflix? Because I'm at the age where I still think this is a new show, right? It's like 10 years old and I'm like, yeah, it's a new show still, but that's because I'm old. You guys have other shows now, I'm sure. But with this show, is this your, if this is your favorite character, raise your hand for this show. All right. Because you know someone like that, don't you? You know someone, you're like, that's like so-and-so. And if you don't know someone like that, then it's probably, you're probably like this guy yourself. Um, so, so this guy, I didn't even know his name until this past. His, his real name is Rain Wilson. I had no idea. I thought he was born as Dwight Schrute. So um, this is Rain Wilson. And he's, he was talking in an article I read recently about his acting career. And this is what he had to say. He said, all of a sudden, I was a professional actor, but I wasn't very happy. I thought this doesn't make any sense. This is what I've wanted since I was 16 years old. Here I am, 24, 25, 26. I'm, I'm doing it. I'm making a living, and I have an agent. I'm getting work, but I'm really not happy. How many of you guys have experienced that before? Like the very thing that you want in your life, you get, and you feel disappointed. You feel like it didn't live up to its billing. He's describing his early acting career. Now, the crazy part is he's actually turned... He's not a Christian, but he's turned spiritual. He's what he would call of the Baha'i faith, like all roads lead to God. And so he's now trying to give his life meaning, albeit in a false way, but he's trying to give his life and his acting career meaning because he recognizes that if all you do is act and there's not some bigger purpose to it, then it feels kind of hollow and empty. And this is what I want you to get from this. Every single person is wired for something that's bigger than yourself, wired for a greater purpose, wired for worship. And if you idolize someone or something, this is going to be the result. When it doesn't deliver for you, you're going to realize, you know what, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And so the question I want to ask this morning is, how do we identify our idols? I want to ask you some questions here. Just very quickly, how do we identify our idols? The first question I want to ask you is this. What do you daydream about? When you're sitting in the car at a stoplight, 
just looking out the window, where does your mind go? What do you daydream about? Your imagination. When you're sitting, it's Saturday. It's Saturday morning. You have slept in till 1 o'clock in the afternoon. You're eating Twinkies for breakfast. Your parents are gone. The TV's on. You're just by yourself at home. You have lots of time to daydream. Where does your mind go for the majority of that time? What do you daydream about? I love this quote by this guy. His name is uh, Archbishop William Temple. It's a great name. He says, uh, your religion is what you do with your solitude. Whatever you find yourself doing in those kinds of moments, that is your religion. Whatever you think about, imagine, whatever you daydream about, that is essentially what your religion is. In those moments, is it, is it like a future career? Is it a relationship? Is it money? Is it, here's what I hear from high school kids a lot. You know, I'm just so sick of high school. It's so full of drama. I can't wait until college. That's the one that I hear from you guys a lot. And what's funny is usually the one that says high school is full of drama. It's the most dramatic person who's, who says that. Not sure how that works out. <laughs> I'm just so done with you people. You peasants. I'm so above you. You know. It's always that person, right? But where does your, so are, are, you, are you focused on I can't wait till the next phase of life. When I get to this place in life, I'm going to be, that's going to be it. Living somewhere. I want to get out of Temple, man. Temple is just backwards. I want to get out of town. I want to get, I want to go to New York City and make something of myself, right? So is it living somewhere? Is it a certain stage of life that you focus and fixate upon? Next question. How do you spend your money? How do you spend your money? What are you so focused on that you say, I'm going to work? Listen, listen. The amount of hours that you work, if you think about how many hours you have to work to buy something instead of just the amount of money it costs. So if you bought your iPhone without the contract, it'd be like five, 600 bucks. Do you know this? It'd be expensive. So think if you make like, I don't know, 10 bucks an hour, that's 50 hours of work that you're putting into this thing. So what, what do you work for? What do you spend your money on? What do you want to give your money to? How do you spend your money? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if you want to know where your idols are, follow the trail of your money. What do you spend your money on? Because the money trail leads to your idol, typically. The next question, how do you respond to unanswered prayer and frustrated hopes? What are you shaking your fist at God about? What is that one thing or two things in your life that you just say to God, you know, God, if you just had not let this happen, my life would be okay. God, if you would just let this happen, my life would be complete. What are those things for you? And the last question, in what aspects of your life do you feel angry, depressed, or disappointed? And here's the thing. A lot of times it's good things. Often it's, hey, my family is awful. I have an awful situation at home. And I understand that. You need to grieve that. You need to deal with that and work through that. I'm not saying it's not a bad thing. But what I am saying is, if you spend your entire life 
shaking your, your fist at God because of that, that's a form of idolatry. That is a form of idolatry. There's a couple of ways in which we, um, I think, try to end idolatry in our flesh, and here's the first one. The first one is confession. You might think, well, I thought confession was a good thing. How is confession ever a bad thing? And I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but I'm saying if you just confess, and that's it. This is one way I think we try to end idolatry that falls short, and here's how. Because if you just, if you just go to God and acknowledge and, and agree with God and say, God, I know this is idolatry. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And that's it. It just falls short because we're going to see in a moment how it has to be so much more than just confess. It's got to be more than just confess and agree with God. This is the first step, but it's got to be a lot more than that. The second way in which we try to end idolatry, and I think we fall short of it, is willpower. This is the person who just says, you know what? I acknowledge this is wrong in my life. I've got to fix it. I've got to make it better. I'm just going to grit my teeth, clench my fist, just try really hard, try to make it happen. I just got to stop doing that. This is willpower. This is, this is in the flesh. This is not the way in which God would have us end idolatry. There's a quote by Tim Keller, the book we've been looking at, called Counterfeit Gods. He says this, Idols cannot be removed. They have to be replaced. You can't just see an idol and go, I'm going I'm to pull it up. I'm going to uproot that. I'm going to get rid of that. They've got to be replaced with something. And I want you to see how this works out. So look at, at Galatians chapter 5. Turn there with me. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Galatians five sixteen, And we'll go from there in just a moment to Colossians chapter 3. So go to those two places. Galatians 5 and Colossians 3. And Galatians five sixteen. I think has to be one of my favorite verses that I like to just meditate on because it's very simple, but it has so much truth and meaning. Galatians 5.16, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And what I want you to see here is Paul does not say in this passage, you, you avoid the flesh or you avoid idolatry by just trying really hard to avoid idolatry. That's not what he says here. He says, how? How do you do it? Feedback. How do you do it? You walk in the spirit. And I know as I say that, everyone's like, yeah, of course. Walk in the spirit. Now, what does that mean? Right? What does that look like? That sounds like one of those lofty things Paul just throws out there. Yeah, come on, guys. Walk in the spirit. And you walk away and you're like, that sounded good, but what does it mean? How do you apply that to your life? And so that's the question I want, to, I want you to answer here. I want you to wrestle with. You, you can't just uproot idols. You have to replace them. So the way that you, you keep from gratifying the flesh, your sinful nature, is you walk in the spirit. You walk by the spirit. And here's the way this works out in your life. I'll use the example of, of lust because it makes you guys pay attention. Um, <laughs> you guys snicker, but it's true. Um, so the example of lust. So let's say uh, you're dating someone and uh, you're getting tempted physically in that relationship. 
And a way in which you walk by the Spirit and not, and not carry out the desires of your, of your flesh, you're feeling yourself tempted, you're about to go out on a date with this person, um, that you decide, you know what, first of all, we're not going to put ourselves in compromising situations, right? I'm not going to be at her house when her parents aren't home. That's the first thing, right? Now, you might say, well, that's, that's just me trying hard. That's just me doing what I'm supposed to do. Well, I understand that, but guess what? The Holy Spirit has convicted you beforehand. This might happen. I want to make sure it doesn't happen. So I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit in my life. I'm going to walk by the Spirit in this situation and make a decision here. Secondly, there's ways in which you take, you can, there's there's ways in which you walk by the Spirit through prayer, through meditating upon His Word. You take every thought captive. These are ways in which you walk by the Spirit the spirit in your life. And I want you to get this picture throughout scripture. You're going to see this idea of walking nowhere in scripture. Does the scripture say that you just kind of show up in a church service and get a shot in the arm and go on about your business for a month. That's not even biblical. That's what most of us do. You walk by the spirit. Walking is a slow, long process. If I were to go from here to that wall back there, it's about 20 steps. It's just one foot in front of the other to get from here to there. That's it. 20 steps. Walking in the spirit is a long, slow process for us. It's not a quick, it's not a quick thing at all. It's not a quick thing at all. And so I want you to get this this morning that walking in the spirit, you can't just rely on church experience. You've got you've to understand the Holy Spirit lives within you if you're a Christian today. And that he's available for you and his power is available uh, for you this morning. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. It says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Look back again at verse 2. Set your mind on. Minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Now, this does not mean that you walk around with your head in the clouds and you're this unapproachable person. If someone says to you, so what do you think of the, the Longhorn win this past weekend? You're not like, I don't think of such things because I am not of this earth. I am, I am, I am thinking about things above. And you're like, really? Well, what would those things above be? Right? <laughs> what, is that, what is that thing above? And so this is not like you become some, all right, stop the trash talk. So this is not, this is not some like, like otherworldly type thing where you're just unapproachable. Uh, your head's always in the clouds. But it does mean that as you walk through your life here on earth, that you've got a different kingdom in mind. You've got a different mindset. You, you, you don't get as caught up in those earthly things because your mind is, it really is somewhere else, but you're still grounded to where you can live on mission on this earth. You're not some wacky, unapproachable person, but you're able to live with your, with your mindset above, but still living on this earth with a missional mindset. You know, a few weeks ago, you guys may have heard the story, but um, there was a girl that used to go here uh, named 
uh, Chesney Easter, and she goes to Temple High, and her mom was uh, killed in a car accident about a month ago, and uh, just a really tragic situation, obviously. And when I first found out about it, it's seared into my memory of how I found out about it, but I'm sitting there just watching a football game on a Sunday afternoon, and I'm on Facebook just looking at Facebook while I'm watching the game, and I see a post by her on Facebook. And she didn't say what happened in the post. She just alluded to the fact that her mom had died. But I thought maybe her mom had cancer or something like that had happened. So I messaged her and said, you know, I'm so sorry. Like, what happened with your mom? Can you tell me what happened? And she messaged me back within five minutes, and she just said, my mom last night went to go get some sandwiches from Subway. And I was at a friend's house, and and about 10 o'clock last night, my dad said, you need to come home. And she came home. And her dad just told her, your mom went out to get some dinner. She was in a car wreck, and she didn't make it. And so I'm just sitting there speechless, holding my phone, thinking, oh, my gosh, like this girl just lost her mom. And in that moment, I mean, football? Who cares about football? So I said, where do you live? Got in my car and just went to the house and just to just to be with the family. And if you can imagine, I mean, when you hear stuff like that, you think, okay, who cares about football? Who cares? And this is kind of like I think what it means to to live with a different mindset, to live with things that with your mind set on things above, because. So much of our time, we're spent just watching football. We're just spent time watch, looking at Facebook. And although physical death is a tragedy, there are people that are dying eternally all around us, and we don't care. We don't care. And so the idea is that you walk through this life with a burden for the things that are above, but you're still on this earth living on mission at the same time. And so what I want you to get is that at some point in your life, Jesus has to become more attractive than your idols. Jesus has to become more important to you than the things that you and I worship. You can't just uproot. You have to replace. You've got to replace. And I think I mentioned this earlier, but I think one way we do that, and this will sound like a churchy answer, But one way you do that is through prayer, reading, meditating on your scriptures, community. If if you take yourself out of those things and you don't spend time with God, you're not a part of community here at our church or somewhere else, then you are going to struggle immensely when it comes to idolatry. You're going to struggle immensely. And I want you to hear this morning as well that Everything I'm saying this morning about idolatry and how to end idolatry is completely meaningless. If you've never truly surrendered your life to Christ, if you've you've never come before God and said, God, I recognize that you are God, that I'm a sinner separated from you because of my sin. And I want to submit my life to you. I want to surrender my life to you. If you've never come to that place in your life before, then that needs to be the first step. You surrender your life to him. Today, you, you get on your face before God and pray to him and say, God, I need you in my life today. 
Because that's the difference between knowing about God and actually knowing him. We just brought on a new, uh, a couple of new interns about a month and a half ago. One of the guys is uh, L.B. Vargas. I think he may be out today. Is he actually here today? I don't think he is. He went to a Lecrae concert last night up in Arlington. I think he's just, you know, probably um, out late last night. So he's a great guy. I met with him about a month and a half ago to talk about being an intern with us here at the church. And one thing I'm most impressed with about him is that he knows his Bible. He cares deeply about this book and the God that it points to. And saw that from day one. And he forwarded me this, this video at a church he used to be a part of. Um, they did those I Am Second style videos. And I want you to hear his testimony set to that kind of video. Let's go ahead and watch this testimony. Hi, my name is L.B. Vargas. I'm 21 years old. Uh, I live in Belton, Texas. I wouldn't necessarily say that I grew up in church. Um, my mom, I remember my mom every Sundays, um, she would drag me and my siblings to church. Of course, we didn't know why we went to church or, or the significance of going to church. We just, we just simply went. I never really did like to talk a lot. I never wasn't an outgoing person, but uh, I was really just... Uh, in my own box. But that, that being said, um, that, that led me to think that I was already right with God. That led me to think that because I go to church, that because I believe in God, that, um, that, I, was, that I was good with God, that I was okay with God. Um, but little did I know that um, I was still living for myself and I was still relying on my good morals and my good deeds to get me into heaven. My freshman year in high school, um, we, we started going to a, a Baptist church um, somewhere in my hometown, and um, the pastor there had, had a big influence on me early on in my life. Uh, not only was he my pastor, but he was also uh, my coach. I remember one day he, he sat down with me, and um, he talked to me about the gospel. He talked to me about why, why Jesus came and died. And it, it, it blew my mind, but not to an extent where um, I put my faith in God. And I repented of my sins. And even then, even, even when the gospel was unpacked for me, even when I knew why we went to church and why Jesus came and died for me, I still did not um, give my life to God. I still did not follow God. Uh, summer of 2006, um, I remember uh, one day after church, my pastor came down and sat down with me, and he asked me about uh, going to church camp. Um, at first, I mean, at first I didn't really want to go because... It was summertime, I was enjoying myself, and, and um, I still wasn't following God. I still haven't get, gave my life over to Jesus. Um, but he said, he said the church would pay for it, so I was just like, why not? Um, but at, at camp, it was, it was an experience like no other. Um, I finally saw at camp what it, what it meant to be a Christian. I saw other Christians my age um, worshiping God, following God. And it was just an amazing thing to see. Um, and, and I noticed one thing different from me after camp. Um, and I noticed that um, the first thing I did right after, right after church camp was um, I went home, got on the internet, and, and looked up worship songs, um, songs that, that we sang at camp. And 
And the other thing that I did was I opened up and, and I finally read my Bible by myself. I no longer saw what Jesus did on the cross for me as a vague thing or, or just a story, but I saw it as a real thing. It, it, it changed my life. It continued um, to have such a, a significance on my life since that moment. And um, I mean, I, I experienced real change. I experienced Jesus Christ coming into my life and changing my life. Um, he, he saved me from my sin. He saved me from, from me living for myself. He saved me from me doing good things to get into heaven. Um, he saved me from his wrath, which I deserve. And most importantly, he gave me the privilege of, of, of me delighting in him, of me enjoying God, um, to put his name on display in my life, um, um, to glorify him in all, in all things. And it's, and it's just a, an amazing thing to see that God will send his son, Jesus Christ, to die for me. And I'm so grateful and, and praise God for his mercy and grace in my life. Having a relationship with Jesus Christ, there's, there's no greater thing than having that. No greater thing. Uh, I found real hope and real change in Jesus. Yeah, I want us to move into some discussion now for the next few minutes. So go ahead and discuss at your tables.